Kuma in your prayers. This morning, let's take our Bible, our copy of God's perfect word, and turn with me, if you will, to the book of Romans in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We'll read one verse, uh, then we'll pray, and then you can be seated. The 8th chapter of Romans. Look with me at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Father, we come to you at this time, Father, with nothing in ourself to offer, but Lord, we just ask that you be pleased once again to speak through us. Holy Spirit, do that work that only you can do. We can give out the general call of the gospel, but Father, we just ask that your spirit would make it effectual in our hearts. If there one be here that's lost, Father, that you would show them their great need of salvation and, and bring them to your Son. And for the rest of us, Lord, let us leave here today rejoicing and having a little bit more certainty and security in the fact that all things are according to your purpose. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, while many uh, are in panic, I'm seeing that. I haven't seen it down here. I've seen it in some other areas. While many are in panic and seem uncertain about this virus that's coming up, this morning I just want to preach a simple message reminding us that in uncertain days, there is certainty in the sovereignty and purpose of God. Uh, Someone asked if I'd go and preach on the coronavirus, and I said, well, if I did, I would take my text from James 4, 8, which says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. <laughs> uh, but we're not going to preach on that this morning. Romans eight twenty eight is a verse of security. The book of Romans, of course, is about justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. When we get to the eighth chapter, he's dealing here with the same. The first, the whole chapter hinges on verse 1, which says, There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So the first half of the chapter deals with our standing in Christ. Then it shifts to our sonship in Christ, where we cry, Abba, Father. Beginning here in verse 28, we move into our security in Christ. And this verse is uh, intended for those who are going through uncertain times and even times of suffering. I appreciate what you said in Sunday school about Matthew 24. And, and, and those things happened. Those things are happening. And those things will happen. And they will actually increase as we get towards the coming of Christ. We will see more uh, uncertainty in our world. And uh, Paul, the apostle, writes in the 8th chapter to bring uh, security and courage to those who are being currently persecuted for Christ's sake. He tells them in verse 18, For I reckon 
that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, the word reckon here is we in the South use it a little different than what he means. It's an accounting term. When I, when I take the suffering of this lifetime and put it on the spreadsheet, and the, compared to the glory that shall be revealed, it's not even worthy to be put on the spreadsheet. It's not even, our suffering is not even worthy to be compared with what God has prepared for us in His eternal glory. Now to this verse. Uh, there's three things I want to talk about in this verse. First of all, the people of the promise, because we find one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. Secondly, the extent of the promise. And then thirdly, the purpose of this promise. First of all, the people of the promise. And we know. Now this promise is not for everyone. This promise is only to the we know group that is found in Romans chapter 8. Look back with me, if you will, in verse 14. As we find that Paul, of course, includes himself in this. But he says in verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This promise is for those who know some things. And the one thing that they do know is God is their heavenly Father. This promise is for a we know group. And we know God is our heavenly Father. And so we know some things. In verse 24, we know some more things. Uh, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For that a man seeth, why does he yet hope? And so we are those who are saved by hope. He says, and we know. And so the and brings us back to verse 27 where he says, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints. So the antecedent or the the subject of the we is the saints. So who is this group addressed to? The people who are saved. They know that God is their Father. Their, their heart cries out to their Father. They know they've been saved by hope. And they know that they have been made saints in God. Well, he goes on. He, he goes on and describes this group. And we know that all things work together for good. And we'll get to the promise here in a minute. To them that love God. Now, we're going to deal with the called here in a minute, and a lot of people are like, well, how do I know if I'm called or not? Well, here's here's the answer. Here's the practical test. Do you love God? Because this promise is only for those who love God. It's not for everyone. It's those who love God. 
If you will, turn with me, or I'll read it to you in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7. We find a classification here that there's only two groups of people in the world. Now, in the first half of this chapter, he deals with the Jew and the Gentile. And God used to have a division there, and he will in the future. We're not going to get into millennial stuff, but there will be uh, something else coming. But right now, there's only two classifications of people. Lost and saved. Those who are under the bondage and control of sin and those who are under the control of grace. And Deuteronomy makes it even more simple. And look with me in verse 9. Know ye therefore, Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know ye therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth his covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Notice who keeps, who his people are, that he keeps covenant with? Them that love him. And now how do they prove that they love him? By keeping their commandments, by keeping his commandments. Now we have a second group of people in verse 10. And he repayeth them that hate him to their face. To destroy them, he will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. And so according to God's word, we have two qualifications of people. Those that love God and those that hate God. A lot of people out there say, well, I don't hate God. Well, if you don't obey him, then you hate him. It's only those that love him obey him. Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my commandments. John the Beloved wrote in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. We love God. What is this group of people? I'm not going to list all that I have here. We'll cut through this, but... We, in this description of loving God, we love and meditate on God's glory. If we truly love God, we want to make Him glorious. We hate God, then we're selfish. We love and trust His power. We love what God loves. Now, son of a preacher, 12 years old, I went to church camp. Roy Mitchell was preaching, remember, Brother Roy? And uh, I felt an outward call of conviction. We'll get to that call here in a minute. I came forward and I said everything they said you ought to say, and then I got baptized and did everything they all did. I became a member of church, and I went back to school, and... Nothing changed. Not that. And as I grew into my teen years, I became more rebellious and more rebellious. And I hated the fact my dad was a preacher. I hated the things of the Lord. There wasn't no hypocritism about me. I did everything I could. I, uh, when I was 18 years old, I was out of the house. I was gone. I was doing my own thing. And I, I, I loved uh, the things of the world and all that came with it. 
one day, the Lord saved me. About a couple months before my 21st birthday. Now all of a sudden, the things that I once loved, now I hate. And the things that I once hate, now I love. Now how, how do we get from loving the things of God? Loving the things of God. Loving God is the evidence of our calling. That brings us to our third group within this identifier. In Romans 8, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, John 4, 19 says we love him because he first loved us. Now, I will say that Romans 8, 28 is very often misquoted. And let me quote it to you, uh, misquoted, and they missed the point. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Where did, what I miss? I missed a very important definite article. The called. Not called. But the called. Because not everyone that is called is the called. Jesus said many are called. Few are chosen. And who is the called? You see, we have an outward call of the gospel. Right now, as, as I preach and teach the word of God, an outward call is going to our ears and to our mind, to our intellects. That's an outward call. When we tell the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he died and was buried and rose again, that is a general call, a gospel call, an outward call. But there is an inward call. And then there is an effectual call. And the effectual call, why do we call it the effectual call? Why does theologians call it the effectual call? Because this call has effects. <laughs> See, when I was 12, I was called by the gospel and I became convicted and sorry about my sin. And I came forward and did all that and, and nothing changed. But then when I was 20... The inward call came, the effectual call came, and it had its effects. It had its change. And so we have the inward call and the effectual call. If I were to call, I use this illustration at church, if I, at my church, I say, if I were to call half of you tonight and say, we're going to meet after church, and then I would look out at the group and say, now I want to talk to the called. Well, that means that the only people that as part of that group are the called, the ones that I called. And we as gospel preachers are to call all men unto salvation. But we know that only God saves those whom are the called. Well, who is the called? Look with me, if you will, in the book of 1 Corinthians. Look at a couple scriptures here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because this is very important we understand who this group is. Look at verse 21. For after the wisdom, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. 
It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Uh, I want to stop there for just a second. I, I heard a black preacher one time saying, I hear all the time people saying, well, I preach a sermon by the way I live my life. They see my sermon. He said, well, if they did see it, it wouldn't do you any good because faith cometh by hearing. God has chosen by preaching to save them which believe. For the Jew requires a sign and the Greek seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jew a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So when the gospel is preached and the general call goes out in the intellect of the Jew, they're stumble over this. They're saying there's no signs. This is wrong. I, I can't hear this. Jesus is a Messiah. No, their, their minds go against it. The Greeks say this is ignorance. This is unlearned. This is foolishness. But when God's Holy Spirit calls, both Jews and Greeks are saved by the power of God. Look, he tells us even more. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter One, many of us know this verse, could quote it, but I'm going to read it. 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy, if I said first, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 9. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Nope, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus when? Before the world began. Look with me back in Romans, in our text. Who are they called? In Romans 28. How are they called? When are they called? Why are they called? Well, 29 and 30 tell us. The preceding verses were in Romans 8. I'm dealing with verse 29. And we'll get to the promise shortly. We're coming close, but we got to deal with who this promise is good to because it's not for everyone. It's not for those who lo- who don't love God. I didn't say, you know, a lot of people, well, I, I walk the church aisle, I give the hand to the preacher, I got baptized, I'm a church member, yeah, but do you love God? Well, I don't know. Well, I'm sorry if you don't know, because this promise is for those who do know. Now, we don't know everything, but we know something. And this is for the crowd that knows that they're God's child. They know that they love God. They know that they've been saved by hope. Their life bears proof and witness. It's not just an emotional or a decision. And so, these that love God, they love God because they are called. And in verse 29, he tells us, for whom God, for whom God did foreknow. Now, I got to uh, do some work on that word because, uh, 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 you know, a lot of the Arminian says, oh, it's just who God knew beforehand. No. The word know there is the same word, and, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and it's 
it's talking about more than an intellectual knowledge. It's talking about an experience and, and different things. For, and we could say it for those whom God foreloved. What did he do? He did also predestinate. Now let me give you the definition of the word predestinate in the Greek. It means predestinate. It literally means to cast out the horizon or to order one. We don't make apologies for God. And what happens to those who, uh, to be predestinated, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. So who does he call? He calls those whom he chose with a holy calling, according to Timothy, before the world began. Who? Those whom he predestinated, he called. And everyone he calls, he justified. Them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And by the way, our glorification is future for us. It is going to happen in the future when Jesus comes and splits the eastern sky and the trump of the Lord sound and the dead in Christ will rise. But he wrote it in the past tense because our God is so eternal. He does not, he, he cannot consume time. It's as good as it already happened in the mind of God. Those whom he chose before the world, it's as good as it already, if we're already glorified. That's why Paul said we already sit in heavenly places. So who are the called? The called are those whom God elected and chose and predestinated unto salvation. The preacher gives the general call, but then God gives the effective call and calls us. So we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's the evidence of their call who are the called according to his purpose. Now, secondly, the extent of the promise. The extent of the promise. We know who it is. It's for the saved. And we know that all things, all. Uh, Now, Brother Rob, that don't mean bad, does it? Yeah, that means bad. Bad falls under all. What about sin? It said all. What about evil? It said all. All things work together for good. Now it doesn't say all things are good. But it says that God works all things together for good. You know, uh, anytime these storms come up and we have national calamities and disasters and different things, like Katrina, you'll get some, some Preacher, it shouldn't even be really called a preacher on TV, saying, well, now God had nothing to do with this. Let me tell you something. A mosquito don't flap its wings without God's permission. Everything that God does, he does. He's not passive in it. Are you saying God calls Katrina? Yeah, I just said it. Nothing happens without the control of God. If he's not in control of all things, he's not in control of anything. And we know that all things work together for good. What about evil? Surely God would never use evil. Well, 
Joseph's brothers really didn't like him. They were jealous of him. One said, let's kill him. And the other said, no, let's sell him. And they sold him into slavery. And he went from the pit that they sold him in into Potiphar's house and then into prison. Then out of prison he came and became the vice president, if you will, or chief of staff of Pharaoh. And he's ruling the world because of a dream. And now his brothers, because of the famine, have come to the land. They haven't seen him in a while. And Joseph is sitting on the throne and he is wearing the royal Egyptian garb. And so they do not recognize him. But he finally reveals himself to him. And what does he say in Genesis chapter 50? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That I would save many people alive from this famine. God used evil. God used sin. God is not passive. God is active and in control of all things. And yes, God even works evil things together for good. There was a famed evangelist back in the 50s and 60s. He used to uh, preach under tents. And, and he would take a fellow up there and he would sit him down in front of the crowd. And he would say, now I'm going to feed you. And he said, I'm going to feed you. And so he would hand him a spoon and he would say, he'd say here, eat that. And the guy would eat it. And he said, what is that? That's flour. All right, well, he said, well, hold on just a second. He said, let me give you this. And he'd take a spoonful of it. And he said, what's that? I go, man, that's salt. He said, does it taste good? And he said, no, it don't taste good. He said, well, try this. Uh, uh, salt, after the salt, take this little baking soda here. And he, he, he gave it to him. And the guy tasted it. He said, no, man, I can't deal with this. And he said, well, yeah. and the guy started choking up. And he said, well, here, here's some buttermilk. Drink it. And the guy drank it. And he said, and it had an egg in it. And the guy was like, oh, man, about gagging. He said, well, here, this will help coat it down. And he, and he said, uh, taste this. And the guy was like, I can't do it. It's Crisco. And he said, he said, why are you complaining? I just fed you biscuits. Did any one of those ingredients individually taste good? No. But when you work them together, good comes out of good buttermilk biscuits. God didn't say all things were good. He said all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called. I don't know. Hey, you know, there are a lot of things we don't know. Is the coronavirus uh, exaggerated? I don't know. I don't know. Is, it, is what the medical experts saying accurate? I don't know. But I know who does know. And I know I'm his child. Well, how many of you think is going to get sick and die? I don't know. But I know the God who does know. And he works all these things for our good. What about heartache? I had a lady one time, her daughter died of a drug overdose, and I was preaching her funeral, and she was in her 60s, and she was in tears, and she said, why, preacher, why? And she was just so distraught. I said, I don't know why. She goes, where's God in this? I said, well, all I can tell you is that he's the same place he was when they nailed his son to the cross. I don't know. 
I don't know why this happened. I preached the funeral of the baby and said, why? It's a natural instinct to ask why. Ask God why in a humble spirit. Ask him why. I don't know why. But I know this. He works even all those things together for good. Human suffering comes under the all. We have an all-inclusive promise that no matter what happens to the child of God. What about, you know, we Americans, we've become so sassy and, and prosperity thing. We think that unless everything's working, unless everything's good, that God's against us. I had a friend come over from Nigeria who is persecuted from Nigeria, who, who had to leave the country and flee from Nigeria. He's a preacher. He actually ran for president back in the early 2000s of Nigeria as a Christian. And if you can check out the news, they're slaughtering the Christians right now in Nigeria. I helped him get a couple places to preach. He graduated from Lexington Baptist College, Brother Manasseh. And, and, and I was with him at, at one church, and, 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 and he was preaching. And this is a man who's had five or six attempts on his life. He, he's, had, he's had stuff done to him that we just can't even imagine. And and and, uh, and and he said he said persecution is a beautiful thing. He said because in the midst of persecution, we're seeing Muslims saved. He pastored a large church in Nigeria, and the Muslims blew it up. And the next morning, they arrived on the Sunday morning to worship at the house of God in the church building was uh, blown up and the Muslims were sitting away and they all held hands around their building that was still it was down to ashes and simmering at that time and they all held hands and started singing and praying and some of the Muslims that actually blew up his building were converted. You mean blowing up a church building? People dying? There's, there's, there's people in Korea that are being persecuted. There's people in China that are being persecuted. There's people in the Middle East that are being persecuted. There's people in Nigeria and other African countries that are dying for this. And those brothers will tell you all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Third point, the purpose of this promise. All things work together for good to them, for them, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let me let you in on something. Even my salvation isn't about me. Your salvation isn't about you. You're a gift to the Son. There is a covenant called the Eternal Covenant where God made a covenant between His Son. And by the way, you're not a part of this covenant. You're just a beneficiary of this covenant. God chose the people. Jesus promised to go and die for those people. And the Holy Spirit said, Everyone you died for, I'll call and bring. And you know, it's an unconditional covenant. I don't have any say-so in it. And it's all for His purpose. You know, my dad passed years ago, and there was a life insurance policy. He made a, a, a contract between him and the life insurance company. He paid premiums. That was his requirement. And then when he passed, those premiums would go to his beneficiaries. I didn't do anything but receive a check. It was, it, 
was nothing that was required of me other than to put my signature on the back of the check and deposit it. The saying is such of salvation. The salvation that we have is according to God's purpose for God's glory in all things. God is all about God. He's all for himself. And all human suffering, salvation, damnation, and everything else is all according to his purpose. And for his glory. And we can take comfort in that. That nothing comes amongst us unless God's protective hand permits it or causes it. Why does God call some to salvation and not others? Well, we see here in Romans 9. Look with me in Romans 9, verse 11. Speaking about Jacob and Esau, it says, For the children being not yet, 9-11, born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. And we're talking about Israel and the Edomites. God even chooses the rising and falling of nations. Why are some nations prosperous and some nations not prosperous? According to this verse right here, it's because of God's eternal purpose. Why did it, why is it that way? And if you read the book of Romans chapter 9, you know what you're going to find out? You know, Ishmael was born before Isaac. He was the firstborn. But who got the promise? Isaac. He was the secondborn. Okay, then, then Esau was born before Jacob, right? And, but who got the promise? Well, yeah, yeah, Jacob got it. Esau was born before Jacob. Jacob was the secondborn. You know what God's telling us throughout all that chapter? It's not the firstborn of the flesh that matters. It's the secondborn. It's the new birth that matters. It's the spiritual birth that matters. He's pictured it all the way through by blessing the second born. It's it's the new birth. Why does God do these things? One last verse. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 1. Take comfort today that nothing can come upon God's children... Unless God wills it and permits it. But now I will, I will say this. God's also given us wisdom. My mama told me and taught us, said, son, now, you know, God appointed when you'd be born and when you'd die, but you can go stand out in the middle of the street. If it's not God's will that you die, you won't die, but you may spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair for your own ignorance. Don't tempt the Lord our God. He gives us brains and capacity to figure things out. Don't, don't tempt him. But nothing happens. Well, why, why is God do, why does God, what is God's purpose in all this? What's God's purpose in everything? I want to say that this is the answer to the whole thing right here. It's his purpose in salvation and it's his purpose in retribution, in judgment. It's his purpose why he raises nations, and it's his purpose why he destroys nations. It's his purpose why he gives eternal bliss to some and eternal damnation to others. It's all within these verses. Chapter 1, verse 11. In whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him 
who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, we'll read the next verse here in a minute and get to the point. But God does everything according to his own will. Every now and then they'll talk to me about free will. And I say, well, you know, man has a free will to do what he's capable of doing. But the thing is, according to the Bible, he's incapable of, of choosing Christ or being saved. And you and ask Nebuchadnezzar about free will. Because Nebuchadnezzar was a king that blasphemed God. And God put him, put him in the heart of a cow. Changed his mind like that. The man thought he was a cow. The king of the nation. Out eating grass. Thinking he was a cow for years. Then God gave him his mind back. And then when and then when God gave him his mind back, what did he come out and say? No man can say to him, what doest thou? <laughs> he rules in heaven and the armies of heaven. And no man can say to him, why do you do it such? Verse 12 is why all things... Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of the glory who first trusted in Christ. What's God's purpose? His glory. His glory. What is His purpose in salvation? He's going to get glory. What was His purpose in Israel in the Old Testament? His glory. What is the purpose of the local New Testament Baptist church in the New Testament? His glory. What's his purpose in God's children suffering for their own good? If it's for their good, it's for his glory. What is for his good is for their glory. God called us and saved us for his purpose, not ours. The course and events of our lives are according to his purpose. It's all about his loving leadership. Nothing can happen to the child of God unless... Our Father in heaven permits it according to his purpose. And while we cannot be certain in the temporary, we can be certain in the eternal. And while there may be many that don't know, thank God that we do know. And I don't know why individual actions happen. I don't know and understand God's plan and all of it. But I know that if you're a child of God, it ultimately comes down for your good, which leads to his glory. And by the way, God's the only one who knows what good is. An evangelist not too long ago preached in front of a large group of college kids and he said you know you want to know what the scariest truth in the bible is let me tell you what the scariest truth in the bible is god is good why is that the scariest truth in the bible because we're not god is good and there and of us in romans there's none good Thank God that He saved us, called us, and whatever goodness we have, it's His Holy Spirit. It's His goodness working in us. We don't know why, but we do know that God is working it together for our good, according to His eternal purpose, to bring Himself glory 
I love that song. He'll bring many sons to glory. God, be praised in all things. We get fearful. You're saying, Brother Rob, you're, you're kind of bold about this. All things work together. You're saying you never got scared. Oh, I get scared all the time. But that doesn't change God's eternal purpose. That don't stop you from your heart breaking. That don't start disappointments. It don't stop sickness. It doesn't stop human suffering and persecution. It sure does give us security. You see, in the book of Romans, Paul is writing a group of people that are being persecuted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going into Nero's lion's den. And he wants them to know in Romans chapter 8, hey, all this is working together for your good and God's eternal purpose, and there's nothing can separate, there's nothing that can cause God's grip of love on you to ever loosen. Nothing can separate us from his love. Do you know that you're saved? Without it, without? Bible teaches an oh-so salvation. John said, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. We know we are the sons of God. We cry, Abba, Father. We, in this same chapter, he said, we don't know what we ought to pray for as we are, but we know the Spirit helps us pray, helps our infirmities. Yeah, there's a lot of things we don't know, but if you're saved, there's a lot of things you do know. I just came by to remind us what we know, that God's working all things together for his eternal purpose. He's in control of all things. Brother Jackson.